Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Do summer projects your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. With free delivery on over 2 million items, you can make the most of summer grilling and dig into gardening. Plus, get same-day delivery on thousands of products like power tools and storage to tackle any last-minute garage project. Summer your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Kurt, another week of PBT Extra. How was your weekend? Pretty good, pretty mellow. I've just been watching a lot of soccer and, and hanging at home. I wish I had some great, exciting story. I did go, but you would have enjoyed this, did go Sunday out here to a tamale festival. Oh, like, get out of here. You like tamales? Tradition uh, with families making tamales this time of year in, in Latin communities. And so there's a tamale festival near us. Uh, went and had some amazing tamales. And like weirdly, like the best one I might have had all day was vegan. And I hmm. not normally what I'd go for, but it was spectacular. So yeah, it was fun. That's very LA. <laughs> yeah, it's very LA. What have you been up to, Corey? Uh, you know, the same old, same old for me, which is a lot of art. I've <laughs> been looking at a lot of art. Uh, there's an Edward Hopper show at the Whitney right now, which Ooh, is spectacular. Good one. Oh man. Uh, one of my favorite pieces from Hopper is in it. There's two of them actually. One, um, they're both, they're kind of revolving around the stage. One is two, uh, performers on stage kind of bidding the audience to do which i think is such a beautiful kind of farewell especially when you think about our job which is to frame other people's legacies like performers legacies i always think about that painting by hopper as kind of like a you know how do you be generous and make sure you throw people their flowers while they're on stage as they kind of like fade back into you know stage left and then the other one is uh his wife in uh in a uh in a movie theater and she's kind of like on the side kind of like being very pensive and thoughtful while the silver screen plays. And I, I go to a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies. I haven't been to the theater in a long time, Kurt, much too long, but I watch a lot of movies. And like, when you watch a lot of movies, there are times when you kind of like, you know, it's like almost like a temple where you kind of like, kind of, you, you don't have to be actively watching the movie, you know, like you can let your mind kind of go and you stand off to the side. So I really related to that. I'm like, I've been in that scenario where, you know, a movie's on that I've seen five or six times and I'm kind of just like, in the corner thinking about something else. It was a very quiet, kind of, you know, it was a restful moment, I thought. So I love the show. I love the show. That's awesome. That's, a, yeah, I, one of my favorite artists and, and one of the standout pieces of the Chicago Museum, which is like a wildly underrated great art museum, isn't it? Yeah. The Art Institute of Chicago, just briefly, is, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It's like one of yeah. my top three favorite museums in the world. It's like, it's so great. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about less art, which is unfortunate for me. You know how much I love art and basketball. But let's let's shift to one of my other favorite topics. I know your favorite topic of basketball. Los Angeles, the Lakers um, started off rough. We thought, what's going to happen? Can Darvin Ham put all the pieces together? Anthony uh, Anthony Davis looks incredible. Yeah, the Lakers went, they've won eight of the past eleven, um, and they might actually be able to salvage this season? I'm curious. What are your thoughts on the Lakers right now? First off, Anthony Davis, he was slowed a little at the start of the season with a sore back and then clearly healthy lately. Cause I mean, 55 the other night, 44 against Giannis and the Bucks, and what I thought was a real test. Cause they'd kind of won a lot of games against a soft part of the schedule. 
but the question was, could they build to me was, can they carry that momentum out of, of that soft part of the schedule up against it? And then they go into Milwaukee and beat the box. So yes, like I, I he's been playing at a, a all NBA slash, you know, I know people are throwing his name in the MVP conversation. It's, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if he can sustain this and then we'll talk. But I mean, he, for the last few weeks, he's been as good as anybody. And they've been, haven't they? They've just been fun to watch again, Corey, haven't they? Yeah. So earlier in the season, we talked about the Lakers. And I said, look, I think this is going to turn around because of one stat. And it's one of your favorite stats defense. They were like top five in most offensive yeah. categories, right? Early in the season, even though the offense was nowhere to be found, right? Offense was on vacation somewhere in Mexico. I don't know where it was, but it wasn't in LA. Now, Anthony Davis is starting to do what we know Anthony Davis is so capable of doing, but he kind of like, like I haven't seen like this level of offense production from Anthony Davis. So like for him to be one healthy and then two bring it to this next step of, wow, I didn't know there was a, another nether region. Like there was more in the ether that Anthony Davis hasn't tapped into, which if you watch basketball for the past, you know, if you've watched any basketball for the past 10 years, the fact that there's another space for Anthony Davis should be terrifying for like yeah. most of us. So now they're still top 10 in defensive rating in the NBA, plus Anthony Davis bringing this level of offensive production, which is just, you know, stellar. Yeah. Um, this could be interesting. I, I really yeah. do think that this, this, this Laker team pending, you know, health, they could go a long way, Kurt. First off, I, I, you got to give Davis two credit for embracing playing center, embracing playing the five. Cause he didn't right? like that was part of it. He always wanted Dwight Howard next to him or some big body so he could play more of a four and not have to make. He's embraced at Darvin Ham's assistance, but like embraced playing the five. He stopped, I mean, he's shooting like one, one and a half threes a game. He's not hanging out out there. He's getting to the rim. He's attacking. And then he's, he's an elite rim protector and defender. And I think sometimes we forget that. And you saw it in the loss to the Cavaliers. He goes out eight minutes in with what the team's calling flu-like symptoms. Jared Allen goes, eats. Jared Allen just eats the rest of the night, scores 24 points. Jared Allen's not um, not an offensive powerhouse. That is not why he's out there, but he's putting up points because he's not getting that contest in the middle. It, Davis means that much to this team right now, and I think that that game was a reminder that when they're clicking like this, the Lakers are really good, but their margin for error is yeah. – Yeah, it could go either really well or really poorly, and that that kind of – it's a mercurial quality, right? We're like, yeah. hmm, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing to be, you know, extraordinary, supernatural almost, or really bad. I, I did love your point on Anthony Davis. I think it's very well taken and, and very perceptive because Anthony Davis, and this is a microcosm, maybe it's a bit of a stretch. Keep me honest, Kurt. <laughs> but it seems as though, you know, if you trace him, you kind of like trace uh, the evolution of like where the big man is currently in the game, like, yeah. He, when he kind of first came in, I mean, clearly dominant, wanted to play, like you said, with like a seven footer in the paint. And that was kind of like his, let me face up 18 feet out. Let me shoot threes. Let me stretch the floor. You know, I want the ball in my hand. I can show all my arsenal moves, which is extraordinary. He has an unbelievable yeah. game, but now he's starting to retreat and dominate in the paint. And there's just no, there are, there are no answers, right? Yeah. Because it's just, not only can he beat you on the perimeter, but then you look at his interior game and rim protection, elite rim protection. And one thing that I think is his un- most underrated element of his game is his outlet passing. Yeah. Because, like, he is one of the, like, one time, I think it was two or three games ago, he got the ball 
and then pass it up to Dennis Schroeder, who wasn't even he wasn't even looking. Schroeder didn't expect the outlet pass to come that quickly. And it's like that level of outlet passing is like Tim Duncan, Karl Malone. I mean, that's like elite, elite because they understand, you know, if I'm not running the floor, LeBron's running. And LeBron always runs the floor because that's how you get most of your easy pickups. So LeBron's ceiling in transition. Dennis Schroeder needs to look for the ball. And as soon as it's out of the rim, Anthony Davis passes up. That is like big man 101. And I and and to see his game evolve and go, retreat back into the interior, I think is indicative of where the game is going for big men. I, I think actually that's a really good point that he's kind of embraced playing that modern big. And I think you still need a you still need a kind of older school like I. It'd be great to have Jakob Pertl on the bench or something because sometimes you've got to break out. You're going to have to go deal with Joel Embiid, with Jokic. With there, there are. There is room for really elite traditional centers, but the game is going to evolve a little more towards this. I think you're right. And Davis embraced it. And by the way, the other guy who should deserve credit on that team for embracing, Russell Westbrook. Yep. yep. With the six man role and has been good in that role to the point that, I mean, I don't think they could trade him anyway because that $47 million anchor of a contract, but it doesn't feel like it's weighing them down the same way because he's kind of embraced the role now. A light $47 million. Yeah, like a light. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lighter burden for Laker fans, and I do think as far as we're talking about embracing roles, another microcosm that comes to my mind is is LeBron. You track his career, you know, like he was the guy clearly whiling away in Cleveland the first time. Then he goes to the Heat. It's D Wade's team, right? It's like it's yeah. Dwayne Wade's team. But so he kind of had to be maybe what we see. I, I'm trying to think of another example because it's different. That was a very special team. But, yeah. like, it was still Dwayne Wade's team. And then when he then played that role for them, was wildly successful. Go back to Cleveland. He has, you know, a number one overall draft pick there. That's his franchise, Kyrie Irving at the time. But then LeBron became the de facto leader. Kyrie had to be the number two guy on that team, which is, like, once again, the ego thing. How do you, as a number one overall draft pick, become the number two guy? And we saw how that played out. Clearly, he left. Um, but LeBron was the guy and was able to be the guy and lead them to a championship. Now in L.A., this is the stage of your career um, where LeBron is clearly there. How do you age gracefully? You know, because he's no longer the guy. He's still the leader. You listen to his comments, you know, he says, like, as the leader of this team, I have to do this, this, and that. He still is the leader, sure. But it's clear that Anthony Davis, it's his time for him to be the number one. So, you know, how do you transition gracefully? That is a question that most superstars can't answer they're not very good at it. So I'm very curious to see how LeBron willingly cedes um, to Anthony Davis this year. I think he's been really good at that, by the way. And you're right. It's not not everybody. The easy one out here out here in L.A. to remember is how Kareem kind of passed the baton to Magic and handled and then handled that so well. LeBron still I don't think anybody's ever played this well at 37. Remember, he turns 38 at the end of this month and he's Mm -hmm. still he's still a physical force of nature every night and puts a, and, and could, he did it against the Cavs. He, he, the Lakers stayed in that game because he took over the third, no Davis. All right. I'm just going to take over the third quarter and it didn't end up being enough, but he made it a game. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the most real life parallel we can see, cause you're right. The, the Kareem's I mean, great example in LA, but I mean, magic, he played 
center, right? Like in that final series, right? Like he played. But the thing about Kareem was able, he was able to kind of step back a little bit. Magic then became the clear leader of that team, a young Magic. And then Kareem walked away a champion, right? Like that was pretty wonderful uh, deal to get. And I think what we see here is when Anthony Davis is out and LeBron is the de facto leader, you know, full stop, they're around eighth or ninth in the Western Conference, right? If so, he just signed LeBron, just signed in the contract extension, right? If over the next three years, let's say prior to age 40, LeBron can see power in a, in a successful you know, transition of power from him to Anthony Davis, I think he might be able to go out on top of his career as a champion, much like Kareem did. Uh, but once again, that's granting a lot of things like health. <laughs> Anthony Davis has to be healthy. And the whole ego transfer is a very, it's a very precarious thing that has destroyed a lot of great teams, Kurt. And they've got to, they've, they, they have to round out the role players on that team. They've been good, but, but it, to compete at the next level, there, there needs to be more. But they've taken such a step forward from where they were a month ago, Corey. It's impressive. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Let's talk about the other team in L.A., which um, I think that moniker is pretty disrespectful. <laughs> you know, I think I think now the Clippers fans are saying, wait a second, we are the team and the Lakers are the other team in L.A., right? Yeah. I mean, the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back on the floor at the same time, which um, is, is a statement that you might want to, like, start a parade for. I mean, that's, and that's kind of sad also, the fact that that is such an exciting statement. But they're, they're six in the West right now, 14-11. Where do you think their chances stand as far as becoming truly a championship type of contender? They just Don't they just need to build chemistry? Don't they just need time? I feel like the Heat are sort of this way, but what, what the Clippers have done that the Heat didn't do was keep their head above water. I mean, the, Clipper, the Heat especially, I don't know if you watch Tuesday night's that was an ugly loss to Detroit, and they had an ugly loss a couple nights before. The Clippers really haven't – I mean, I don't want to say they haven't had any ugly losses, but they've done a good job keeping things together, and now they've got this team. Look, they're, they've got some really good lineups. They're, they're, when Kawhi and Paul George are on the floor together, Corey, they're plus 18.5 per 100. Like, they're really good. And they're starting – the five they've used the most, which is without, obviously – um, Kawhi, but Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Zubat. That's like a plus 15 per 100. Like they've got really good versatility and rotations and lineups. They just need time, just need chemistry. I, I didn't, I don't know about you. Do you trust him as much as I do? I trust Tyler. Yeah. I mean, the Clippers for me, trust is a hard word with them. Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like I feel like I have trust issues with that team. And that's and that's OK, I guess. I mean, it's the reality I want. I, I want actually I don't even really want to trust them because I feel like my heart's going to get broken. I feel like this is one of those things where there are red flags left and right. And I say this as a basketball fan and as a great admirer of, you know, of some of the players on this team. Like personally, I think Batum is a great player, you know. So I so I, I mean, so I, I think they have the pieces an owner who wants to spend, a coach who's a championship coach, a deep bench, like you named everything. But the trust issue for me is glaring. And I feel like to get into a relationship with the LA Clippers is, you know, like, you know what you're like, 
it's like very clear red flags all over the place um and and you're taking a, a gamble and personally the the part of me that's like the wise like the good angel is like don't get in a relationship with the clippers yeah. and then the bad angels is like but they have Kawhi, <laughs> you know so it's kind of like they're only one or two pieces away from like if only this then we'll win a championship and that's kind of like, like i said with the whole like before with the relationship if only you were different in this this in this area then you'd be a great partner that's kind of <laughs> how you know the clippers uh, how would you i mean how do you compare it to the other team that hasn't necessarily although they've looked better lately much like the clippers the warriors right I yeah, feel the Warriors like are different. The Warriors are so steady. Yeah, the Warriors are different. I mean, the Warriors are like what four championships, complete dynasty. Steve Kerr is on the way to becoming like the next Greg Popovich. You know, like I, I, he's like the coach of USA basketball, and like Steph is like you know one of the most rock solid guys in the NBA in terms of like off court, on court. Like he does a great job keeping the thermometer at the place it needs to be. I mean, like I think. The Warriors, I have no issues with. The, it, like, the one thing, like I said, the problem with the Clippers is um, – sorry, I shouldn't say the problem. The good thing about the Clippers is that the, they are able to, like you said, keep afloat without Kawhi and Paul George. But I think that's because necessity is a mother of invention. I think it's because we've played so many games without Kawhi and Paul George together over the past couple of years that we've actually learned how to become, you know, yeah. a middle-of-the-road team in the Western Conference, sixth, seventh seed – uh, without them. And I, I, so I think that's a very good sign, I guess. I, I guess you've, you've look, you've been on Kawhi for Leonard for a while. You, Corey's jukebox just a couple weeks ago. You were, you were talking about Kawhi. I know. I, like I said, when he's playing first game back game winner, and, and that's the thing yes. I do love about Kawhi is that when he is available, and I mean that in every sense of the word available, because sometimes like, I, yeah, I'm going to leave it there when he's available transcendent player like I remember when LeBron remember when he was trying to say okay well maybe I can go win and all these different but this is before the Lakers won the championship and in the bubble and I thought okay well if LeBron wins with the Heat with Cleveland after his first stint there and the Lakers like you're you're, you're putting together a pretty compelling case that's super rare in the NBA right yeah. And at the same time, too, like in the shadows, Kawhi was doing that same concept. Spurs, the Raptors, and the Clippers, right? He almost had a chance there like immediately to do exactly what LeBron was doing, but like six years earlier. And no one was talking about it. (laughs) So that's kind of my thing about him is when he's available, the dude is like the ultimate assassin. It's hard for me to put him against anybody. But the reality is that he's just not available too much, hence that Autumn Leaves reference. All right. Well, actually, that's a good transition, though. What I, I think you want to talk a little about Sacramento. What, what do we, Corey Streetbox, one of my favorite parts of our week in our conversation, because you have such a breadth of musical knowledge. It's, it's just it's fun. So where, where are we going this week besides Sacramento? We're going to Puerto Rico. Oh, nice. Let me take you there. We're going to Eddie Palmieri. Do you listen to his music? I am not terribly familiar, no. He's a legend. I mean, like, that word is thrown around an awful lot, but... It, Eddie Palmieri is like a legend. One of the greatest albums of all time um, is La Perfecta. It's like 30-something minutes. Highly recommend to listen to everyone out there who wants to listen to Eddie Palmieri to kind of understand his contribution to the genre. Um, But this one is a different one. It's called Vamonos Parmonte. It's a song that's about seven and a half minutes, and it will knock your socks off. This, This is like an incredible song, just pure like salsa. 
and like it makes you want to get up and dance it almost sounds like everyone is just like i don't know if you ever listened to like salsa music do you listen to like salsa music i'm familiar I, it's not something i generally pull up on spotify very often it was it was not in my year-end rap let's put it okay way. got you <laughs> i i listen to like concerning amounts of salsa like, i listen to a lot that's not concerning that's good you know, I listen to a lot, like a lot. And one thing I love about salsa live too, I like live salsa, is like, it sounds like it's very tight, like in the sense that there is like a form, there is a very cons like consistent form. But then within the form, there comes like every part of the song where they just let it roll. And I think that's kind of like a really interesting part of the musical genre where it's like, it's very, um, how do you say like the ceremony of like you know like the military ceremony or like the kind of like the european grandeur of all like the parades and like it's kind of like that there's like an element of that in the music that's like three minutes long and then there's just four minutes of like family cookout where everyone's just dancing and it's just like grandpa's on the little like shaker and then like you know like dad's singing on the guitar it's like grit and mom's dancing like and your sisters are dancing like that's what it breaks into yeah. And it's just like four minutes of pure family cookout. And that's what I feel like Sacramento is doing right now, where like there was like this the consistent form. Sure. Like trying to change the, the, the culture. But right now it's just family cookout and they're rolling. People are just dancing. Everyone's dancing. It's very exciting to watch. And offensively, it's just like. Yeah. And that fit, and that and that fits for you. Right. That, that works with the with the game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And secondly, yeah, it's all. It's just all dancing right now. I don't know how long the party will last. I think I the party's going to last. Yeah, I think it's going to end pretty soon, Kurt. The, the family cookout's got to come to an end pretty soon here. I, I hope <laughs> not for Kings fans' sake, because they've had a long few years of, um, how should I put this kindly because it's the holiday season, not great ownership decisions. So, like, I, I'm rooting for their fans to get rewarded a little. But like I said, I mean, look at this. Last 10 games, they've won seven. They're sitting right now in the fourth spot. Who's ahead of them? Phoenix. Wow. Yeah. New Orleans, which uh, kind of surprising. Memphis at three. And then the Kings. So, like, they're – it's like we're, we're in the prime family cookout right now where everything is yeah. great. So, let's they're, just they – are, They are top ten this week in the NBA power rankings at NBC Sports. They're, they're playing at that level right now. Which is very exciting. Once again, don't know how long it can be sustained. But that's why I want to go to Vamanos Palmonte because it's like let's go to the mountain. Like, let's – like, let me take you there to the mountaintop. And right now it's like, and by the way, just last bit on that, it's a masterpiece. Like that that album, I think actually is like a masterwork. Um, so, all right, big listen. The next one is Jokic. So for the player, we do team player, as you know, Kurt. Yeah. I wanted to go to Jokic, talking about another master, back-to-back uh, -back MVP. We had to go with that level of play. We had to invite my friend Beethoven into the pot. Oh wow! Beethoven, come on. So Eddie, you know, thanks for your your contributions. Let's bring in another legend, Beethoven, and come sit with us. The late piano, the late piano sonatas. This is numbers twenty eight through thirty two, uh, performed by Maurizio Pollini, who is a, a great Italian pianist, like a master, 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 master. This album is exceptional. Kurt, have you listened to it? I. I... I have not, and I, I I probably have heard these back in the day, but I, I I would not be able to recall them. I mean, it's it's like really crazy, and this is also, if I'm not mistaken, this is also the time in Beethoven's life when he's like fully deaf. No, oh, yeah. So to think about the level of music, uh, 
being deaf, like being able to write this type of music, other pianists call it otherworldly. Like these are the words they use to describe this suite of piano sonatas, piano sonatas, otherworldly. Arietta is is um is a one of the one of the songs, and it's like it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. It sounds like there are three or four pianos being played. So the fact that Beethoven was able to compose music that, you know, in, in his mind, I guess he was trying to transcend the instrument. Like he was trying to to write music that kind of like, because apparently piano was too limiting for him. So yeah. try, imagine trying to write for an instrument that you believe is too limiting for you. And then you, and you're deaf and you end up with this masterpiece. Uh, but the, 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 the defining quality of this masterpiece is that it's tempestuous, which is, you know, akin, it's basically very indicative of Beethoven's life, the way he writes music master level but kind of like there's like these dark moments of like these stormy moments and i feel like Jokic is like that where like sometimes we'll see his temper flare you know and like you see the tempest underneath the surface but like and the nuggets generally speaking tempestuous everyone's injured all the time but like masterpiece like masterpiece after masterpiece by Jokic in the midst of a tempest so that's why i chose that and I feel like he's trying to transcend. Like if he goes back to back to back MVP, Kurt, like he's like in the rarest of airs. And like, yeah. so I feel like he's trying to transcend what a big man looks like. Poster. It, it, and it's funny. Cause I think you start having the MVP. It's a little early, but you start having the MVP conversation and it's a, it's an incredibly crowded field this early with Curry and Doncic and Antetokounmpo and on and on down the line. I, Tatum, I shouldn't believe and, and I'm leaving guys out. Jokic has to be in the mix. Like his numbers is, I think some people got thrown off because his raw counting stat scoring numbers were down early, but that's because he was sharing the ball more. He's got different guys out there, but his impact on the game hasn't changed. And if you watched him last night, he was, he's still a virtuoso passer. It's just, it's, it's and the way that te- it's fun to watch them because of the way everybody plays off of him. Right. Like, if he gets the ball, I'm moving. I'm cutting because if I do the right thing, I will be rewarded. Yeah, it's almost like having, uh, it, yeah, it's 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 hard to kind of. I can't even. Do you even have a comp? No, like, you know, I, don't his, know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the comp is for him because he breaks the mold. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like he's trying to transcend that position. So, to me, that's that's Corey's jukebox this week. Yeah, you know, so. That, Great stuff. That was actually fun. So, so, so now, now I got some salsa to listen to this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I'll text it. Actually, I'll text it to you because you have to find. Like I'm telling you, it's the it's great. I'll text it to you. Oh, okay, good. Kurt's corner. This one is fun for me because you have posed a question that I find fascinating. It revolves around an individual named Kyle Kuzma and potentially his trade value in Washington. Remember, just for everyone out there, contextually, Kyle Kuzma in my mind. Like last year at moments was like, man, is he like most improved? Like, like he was playing at a very high level yeah. for, for a window of that season. Tell me what exactly is his trade value? That's going to, it's, that's a really interesting question because it's how you picture him. And we'll get to that in a second. To be fair, this is a guy who's really grown his game. He, he was a fantastic role player on that championship Lakers team. He came in unheralded out of, out of the basketball powerhouse that is Wyoming. Like, you know, he was earned his spot, earned his role, goes to Washington, and they're like, well, you want to do more? Do you want to?" And he's grown his game, right? Like he's yeah. 20, 20.6 points a game this year, much more of a scoring threat. And it, it here's the question that I think I'll let you answer. I'm going to make you – you're Tommy Shepard now. You, you're 
GM of the Wizards. Mm-hmm. Put my GM hat on. Put you, he's coming up. Do I re-sign him and think of him like a cornerstone with or, or a key part of, if not a cornerstone, a key part of my future with Beal and Porzingis, and we're going to ride this out? Or if I don't think this is going to work long-term, am I am – I, am, Am I going to be okay being good if that doesn't mean championship? Or do I need to just chase a championship, at which point I might want to consider selling Kuzma right now at the peak and get as much back as I can and maybe start to move pieces around so that we can be tear it down to come back up type of situation a la Oklahoma City or some of the you know, a lot of teams that have done this? I don't think they're in that position because they just signed Bradley Beal to like a quarter of a billion dollar. Yeah. Uh, so it's very clear that they're building around him. He's the cornerstone. So if you start with the books, because money talks, right? Like, so if we start with the books, very clearly, Bradley Beal's the cornerstone. Yeah. So then you think, okay, well, moving forward around that, building around Bradley Beal, how do you compliment him? Because he's your number one asset. I don't think Kyle Kuzma is a number two, right? So then you're thinking, okay, well, is he, is he at the current moment? Because you're right. He, no, has been able, he has been able to build his game tremendously. To me, he's very much like Julius Randle. So if I am um, Washington, I'm looking at what's happening in New York, and I'm thinking, did that work, right? Like Julius Randle growing from a like a, a bench player, role player type of, you know, kind of contributor to um, the franchise face and all-star. Um, Zach Levine is – well, that's a bad example. Let's stick with Julius Randle. That, that's probably the, the most direct comp. And I think that the New York experience is very clear that you're good. You can make the playoffs. You're not going to be a championship contender. So if that's your understanding of like, okay, well, what's good? What, what is our goal as an, as an organization? If it's a championship built around Bradley Beal, then I think the answer is trade Kuzma while he's at a very high level. Let's build up his trade value and get as much as we can to support Bradley Beal and potentially the number two that you think uh, Chris, Chris Stapps Porzingis could be, even though it didn't work in Dallas, right? So that, that was my first thought. If you do think, you know, being a playoff team is better than what we've had for the past 20 years in Washington, then yeah, pay the guy and, you know, and then try to continue to build up from there. But I would do a shorter deal uh, and yeah. kind of see it as a short term stepping stone. Okay. Like next two to three years, let's think how we can go from where we were to a consistent playoff team to then make that next leap kind of like in, in the vein of like the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you might be able to get him to sign shorter term. He, he is happy there in Washington. He likes his role. He looks good in the cherry blossom uniforms. We should talk about. They look great. They don't. The, yeah, wait, the, the uni, do you like the unis? I know you like the 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 floor, the cherry blossom yeah, floor. I will say the color is hard to watch for two hours. It was very charming for about five minutes. But then after watching them go up and down, up and down, I'm like, this, this color is a little, yeah, it's hard to watch. But yeah. I do think, Kurt, in 20 years from now, we're going to see some, like, some fashion designer, some streetwear guy is going to find, like, old vintage, like, Washington Wizards cherry blossom windbreakers and they're going to like bring them back and all these kids are going to be walking around like New York and LA and all these like you know fringe towns across the United States where like the fringe scene is really cool like in Raleigh North Carolina kind of stuff and they'll be like rocking vintage well vintage yeah. Wizards gear and it's like do you know who's on that team like no I didn't know Porzingis Beal and <laughs> who was on the deal you know, but like the, the the merch is like really top shelf yeah, that is, well. it is really good and it's going to be interesting to see the teams that are reaching out by the way the mentioned teams, look, if you're going after Kuzma, it's kind of a win-now move, right? Like you are bringing in depth. So the teams that have come up, the Hawks who have struggled this year and are looking to move John Collins and 
We don't have time to get into the issues there. The other one that's come up, which would be interesting, is Phoenix, um, mm-hmm. where, look, they know they're good. They are sitting on top of the West. They get Chris Paul back. But I think that's fair if they're questioning internally, can we beat the Warriors when they're fully rolling? And, and put, you know, we talked about it earlier, potentially the Clippers, or Denver, or whoever else you think is going to be really good. Kuzma would help. Yes. The, the price going out and in, you know, what you're going to have to send back and then re-sign him and, and are you willing to pay that? They're not going to take on money right now because they're trying to sell the team. But would new owner, you know, there's just a lot of questions there, but it's an interesting fit because I think for a team looking to take a, to make an upgrade, Kuzma's an upgrade for just about, unless you're Boston, you're pretty much, Kuzma's an upgrade on your wing, man. That's a very fascinating point. It's a very fascinating thought experiment, Kurt. Yeah. Uh, so let's look ahead here, shall we? Um, we got some pretty crazy matchups. I mean, Celtic yeah. Suns. What? Clippers Heat with Kawhi and Paul George back and Jimmy Butler back. I mean, Lakers at 76ers, Suns at Pelicans. Yeah. So which ones are you most excited for? Suns at Pelicans I'm really interested in because I, I – I have the question. I don't know. I'll ask you: Are the Suns are the Pelicans for real? I believe the Suns are good to very good second round playoff team, and we'll see at least. But like very good, are the Pelicans? Like I still, I've still, as much as they're by the way, like fourth in our power rankings. Like they're playing great basketball. The, the advanced numbers love them. Don't you still have that? Are they? Are they that good? Yeah. Question no, about do. them. I do. I do. Yeah. I so know. I'm really curious to see that one. I hope. Thursday night, we get to see Kawhi versus Jimmy Butler. That would be so much fun because they are both such physical players that get to their spots. But I am worried the Clippers are on a back-to-back on the road. Kawhi's only going to play one of those two games. And do the Clippers decide to just load up on Orlando, get the quote-unquote sure win? Nothing is sure, but... Do they do that and then whatever happens with the heat they live with? Or do they, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they approach that back-to-back. So I hope we get that. But I, I'm excited about that one. And I'm excited to see Chris Paul back going against the best team in basketball. So that's that's always fun. That's the nuance that uh, so I was explaining to someone recently. That basketball is like a, like a war. You know, it's like a military game, yeah. if you will. Like, kind of like chess. And people who are really good at it tend to be like military minds uh, just because of this exact kind of reason. And it kind of it's unfortunate for the league and unfortunate for fans because you want to see these matchups. But like you said, you know, what are our resources? How do we allocate them wisely, you know, on a road trip? And, you know, thinking about health, thinking about standings, like if we're pretty good, we can give up a game. You know, so so then you start thinking about the whole arc of the season and like the little battles along the way. And which ones do you need? Like, you know, strategic wins at just for positioning. You know, like we need to have land at this, you know, naval like island so we can be close or whatever, or defend yeah. off these. Like it's like it's all like almost like these people in a war room just kind of like making these kind of strategic long-term decisions and short-term decisions. So for but for us, like the matchup, if if we don't get to see Kawhi Jimmy Butler, that's just sad, yeah. you know. But Corey, it sounds like it sounds like you played a lot of risk growing up. <laughs> I do love board games. Not very good at them, but I do love them. Okay, so I'm I'm with you though. The one that is the most interesting to me would be Suns Pelicans. Uh, the other ones are pretty straightforward, and they're gonna be yeah. great games. But that one, that's a good litmus test. Yeah, 
So uh, last segment, we always wrap up with something fun. You know, there's athletes love to recruit athletes to whatever cities yes. they're in. You know, Aaron Judge just signed with the New York Yankees. But um, Odell Beckham Jr., trying to figure out where he's going to land. Uh, we've seen people be vocal about it. I'm curious if you, out of all, let's just kind of like tabula rasa, all eras, all sports, whatever, you could recruit anybody and take them courtside to set at a game, you know, for, for instance. Yeah. Who would you record? Uh, who would you recruit, and and why? That's that's a good one because like I'm trying to think. Of, I was trying to think of when we when Bruce Dan threw this at us, like some of the old stuff. But the thing that came to mind because I'm a Newcastle fan, and they're you know playing well and winning, and right now is, and I've been watching a lot of World Cup. I'm like, hey, can we get Kylian Mbappe? They don't need him. Like they've already got, they've already got Neymar and Messi. Like yeah. they're fine in, in Paris. Like wow. we, we, I, I don't know that Killian's looking to leave Paris for the Northeast of England, the, the industrial Northeast of England, but um, when he talks sometimes, I guess, but I'd like, can we, like, that was the first one to pop because he has looked every bit the best player in the world during the cut world cup. So, yeah, but the last two years would be tough because his whole, remember the whole overtures that uh, Real Madrid and then that yeah, whole yeah. debacle and then going back to Paris and then now saying, Oh, I want to go to Real Madrid. I mean, so I feel like you would have to do a lot of recruiting and you wouldn't even know if you'd get a, a sure yes or yeah, no. That's that, it's a, it, that's a tough one. But if I can, if I can do some, you know, my, my, my impressive recruiting skills as a, yeah, I wasn't the one who was recruited, Corey, what wins over people who were being recruited? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, this is something that's an interesting question for me because I probably, I mean, I don't know if it's just because of the whole, I don't know if this is, I don't know. But for me, I probably wouldn't even recruit anybody. I'd be like, look, like, you know what it is. Do you want to come to Notre Dame or not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like, it's kind of like that. That's kind of how I've always been too, I guess. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. okay, let me see the, the data. You know, let me think about it. Let me make a pros and cons list. And then I'll decide. Like, I don't need to be wine and dine. It's just like, it's pretty apparent to me. Like, give me some time to think and pray about it. And I feel like I've always been attracted to people who are similar. Like if I have to convince you to come to Notre Dame or come play for the Spurs or whatever, I don't think our values are aligned. Clearly, you don't know, like, you know, what makes Notre Dame special. Because I feel like these places, these organizations, you know, they're kind of like beacons. They're like they they emanate a light that draws a certain type of person to them. So, like, I've always just felt really strong about that, where it's like if you love faith, if you love excellent football, you love excellent academics, like you're going to end up at Notre Dame, whether I take you to dinner at Ruth Chris or not, <laughs> like, you know, like you're going to, you're going to turn down Alabama to come to Notre Dame for a reason. So yeah. that's kind of how I always thought about recruiting. I'm like, if you really know what you want and know who you are and know what we, you know, the value prop that we offer, like you're probably going to be here. And if not, you're going to leave very quickly. You're going to transfer or whatever. So it kind of, it works itself out. So I probably wouldn't even recruit anybody. And that probably Kurt would then bring the most interesting people to me. Really? Maybe, maybe. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that current Notre Dame coach Marcus Freeman subscribes to your theory. However, he's a- that's true. I mean, that's true. But you know, like I said, that's probably why I'm not recruiting because I probably <laughs> I, I wouldn't be recruiting. I'd be like, okay, look, like we have a website. Visit Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can log in for a tour. That'll be good. <laughs> You're telling me that you wouldn't want to come, Kurt? Um, my my, I'll tell you my favorite Notre Dame story was my brother got his MBA there bought he's, he's a clothes hound buys all these clothes gets ready to go back for their emails my or calls my mother like i don't know around thanksgiving and he's like hey i, I need 500 bucks and like, what and like 
I have to buy real winter clothes, the, the kind they don't sell in Southern California, because yeah. it's cold here. It's cold. It's true. No, it's cold. No, but like I said, you know, it's just funny. Um, yeah, I feel like when it comes to recruiting, you know, if if you're moved by the, the I feel like you tell your story of like why you chose a place. And if someone else is moved by that, then they come, you know, it kind of just it just like it gnaws and eats at their conscience, you know, until they make the right decision that they feel like is right. So, like, yeah, I don't I don't subscribe to the whole I need a wine and dine you to convince you to to make this life changing decision. Like, I, I feel like, you know, just like I, there's a great saying in the art world, great art announced itself. And I feel like it's the same way with great programs, great teams like it markets itself like. If I have to sell it, I'm kind of like worried about the value prop. Maybe I'm trying to cover something over. So that's my take on recruiting. Super unconventional. Probably shouldn't be a recruiter, but that's it. For all the latest NBA news, articles, and more, you know what? Why don't you head over to NBCSports.com slash NBA. You're going to find the best stuff there. Courtesy of Kurt and his team. Kurt, I can't wait to talk to you next week. I look forward to it, Corey. Take Take care, man. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. How doers get more done.